Welcome to another episode of Single Payer Radio. We broadcast our program from the historic Habern Building here in downtown Louisville. The show is a project of Kentuckians for Single Payer Healthcare, and we're an affiliate of the Kentucky chapter of Physicians for a National Health Program. For listeners who aren't familiar with our program and the state of affairs with our healthcare system, I just want to remind folks that we pay twice as much for our care here in this country and get worse results. And we have over 100 million people in this country carrying medical debt, which problems facing eviction, foreclosures, food insecurity, and more bad health and uh, outcomes. That's why we advocate for a national, publicly funded, nonprofit, single-payer system. Everybody in, nobody out. The views and opinions expressed on our show are those of the speakers and not the station. I'm Mark McKinley, a volunteer with the station. Single payer radio can be heard on the FMP LP 1065 on Mondays at 2 p.m., Tuesdays at 7 a.m., and Wednesdays at 11 a.m. You can also live stream our program. And if you miss a show, you can go to our archives at forwardradio.org. WFMP is an all volunteer station. We rely on the community for your ideas and our funding. I want to welcome our guest to this week's episode, Dr. Garrett Adams. Those familiar with single payer here in Kentucky and the Kentuckians for single payer healthcare know that Dr. Adams is a pediatrician, places Vanderbilt, Wake Forest, retired full-time faculty at UofL School of Medicine, he was the founder, and, and this is something that we'll be uh, going into more detail today. In 2010, Garrett established the Bershipa Springs Medical Clinic. Garrett is also past national president of Physicians for a National Health Program. And Dr. Mike Imbergia is a cardiologist in the Louisville area and founder with his wife and longtime friend of the Have a Heart Clinic here in Louisville. He established that in 2008, where he is the medical director. Dr. Imbergia received his medical degree from South Southern Illinois School of Medicine and has been in practice for more than 20 years. On today's episode, Garrett and Mike will be discussing their clinics and the issues of access to care and health equity. And I guess we want to start off with a question. What year in medical school did you learn how to establish a health clinic? <laughs> Mike? <laughs> they, don't, they don't spend a lot of time on that. <laughs> so you just kind of pick it up on your own okay Darren how about you when, I think when, that's a great question I love that question <laughs> when when you started uh, your career did you have any idea 
that you would be establishing a clinic or there would be the need that there is uh, there in Beersheba and other areas about establishing uh, clinics to, to take care of folks? The, the closest I came to it was uh, my mother brainwashed me with reading certain books. And uh, when I was little, I thought I wanted to be a doctor and live on a farm or, or live in the country. So that, that was probably the maybe, maybe a little bit of seed of ambition. Uh, but, but it, it really didn't come into reality until many, many, many years later. Okay, good deal. And um, if, if uh, you all could discuss your clinics, it seems like you see the need because it's folks are, are going without care and you've got two different models. Uh, Garrett is in a more rural community, Mike, you're here in downtown Hood. Mike, can you talk about uh, how you came to establish this and give us the the view, uh, the uh, the macro on what's going on down Sure. So, and it started out of just a desire to give people without insurance access to cardiovascular care. And so the story is through a bizarre chain of events, it led to this foundation. And my wife came up with a catchy name, Have a Heart Clinic. And we were going to focus just on cardiovascular care for the uninsured. And we used our existing office, which is in the east end of town, and uh, we do a Saturday a month. It got so busy, we started doing a Saturday and an evening <clears throat> a month, and then we kind of realized we were so far removed from the population we were seeing, and a lot of people don't understand that for these underserved uh, populations to get to clinics is not easy to do, especially specialty clinics, so there's pretty good representation from federally qualified clinics and other non-for-profit clinics for primary care, but there really is difficulty for specialty care. And I think the statistic is about 40% of all primary care visits are for some type of cardiovascular issue, whether that be hypertension or chest pain or shortness of breath or whatever. Uh, <clears throat> and then, so we realized we were so far removed. So we went on this mission to be closer to them. And so in 2017, we moved our clinic space in <clears throat> on East Broadway, just about four or five blocks from here. Mm -hmm. And uh, and brought in an east and westbound bus stop on Broadway so we could give better access for those patients. And the first focus was just access to care. <clears throat> How do we give direct access for federally qualified clinics and other non-for-profits. And so we started doing that and we were able to fulfill that need. And I went part-time at my old job uh, about four years ago. And then I quit my job and I volunteer full-time now at that clinic five days a week. And, um, but then we moved on from that and said, okay, we're giving people access, but that's not just the problem. It's how do you keep people healthy from developing cardiovascular disease, which is the difference between us and other countries. It's is not just equal access to care, but 
how they spend their healthcare dollars and preventing illness as opposed to just treating illness. And <clears throat> so we started doing community screenings. We go to various churches, various clinics, uh, and we would check their cholesterols, their blood pressure, their heart rhythm, their abdominal aortas. We were doing carotid ultrasounds and then trying to refer those people back to better care to try to get them living a healthy lifestyle and try to keep them healthy. And we set up a health equity center in our clinic where we have a nurse, a psychologist. Well, we just do a lot of education. So the focus first was to give access to health care for, for everybody and then to now how do we help prevent disease. And if you live at or below the 200% federal poverty level, which over 50% of our country lives at that level, uh, we provide free care. So even if you have insurance, you don't pay us deductibles or co-pays. And that's about 85% of the people that we see pay us absolutely nothing. Fantastic. Garrett, what, uh, how are things, how did they start in Bersheba and how did they unfold and what's happening there? Yeah. Now? Well, first, first I'd like to uh, respond to Mike, Mike's presentation, Mark. Uh, I think that's fabulous uh, what you've done there, Mike. It's it's really uh, thank you, amazing. Uh, and I, I'm I'm remiss in not knowing about you and what you uh, have done and are doing. <clears throat> uh, our situation is uh, very different from yours. Um, and it has to do with primary care and, and providing primary care uh, to uh, a, an under, underserved population in the mountains of, of, of Tennessee on the Cumberland Plateau. Uh, <clears throat> there's uh, the community and, and Mark has actually visited us there um, and um, is called Bersheba Springs. Um, it's in Grundy County, Tennessee. And when we started our clan in 2010, Grundy County was the poorest county of, I'm thinking how many counties, uh, I think 92, 92 counties in Tennessee, or 95 maybe. and. Uh, the poorest county with the poorest health outcomes. Uh, so we had a lot of work to do. Uh, I, I have, we had a, my wife and I bought a, a house um, there and um, it, it so happened that um, my grandchildren are the, are the sixth generation in my family who have been going to uh, Bersheba Springs in the summertime. So, so it was created before the Civil War or founded, Bersheba was, um, in um, about 1833 and was a re popular resort when uh, Folks in the big cities were trying to get away from cholera and typhoid epidemics. They would come in the summer and was advertised. It was as a resort. It was advertised 
uh, in these big cities. Um, <clears throat> so that was my uh, great-great-grandfather uh, took his children up there to avoid a, a cholera outbreak in uh, Nashville. Um, and that's how I happened to to get there through through the family connection. Um, I got to uh, my wife and I uh, got to know uh, the mountain people. And one day, a friend of ours, a close friend uh, named Josephine, came over to the house, and we were sitting on the front porch and. Um, she wanted me to see her, her face, her, her right side of her face was like a baseball, swollen and red and inflamed. It was obvious that she had an acute case of cellulitis. It was really a dangerous situation medically. And so I told her, I said, well, Josephine, you got to get some medical care right now. And she did. Uh, but she wound up with, uh, and she got better, but she was stuck with a 20, I think it was $2,300 bill for some care that she got at um, a for-profit <laughs> hospital about 40, 40 minutes from, uh, from um, Bersheba, um, which I thought was really unreasonable and unfair. Um, we later went down with her to the uh, hospital and talked to the to the uh, administrative person who had to do with billing, and um, and she's sitting there and says, says "Oh, uh, so it's self-pay." Well, then, and then she goes on the computer and lowers the price. And then we we said, well, what if we pay now? And uh, she goes da 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 on the computer and lowers the price again. Uh, so that that was helpful. But when I got home, I just determined that we needed to do something to help these people. So I got together with a friend of mine who knew the uh, the local people well. He'd been a commissioner on the city council and uh, we got a group of community leaders and we began to talk about how we could uh, develop a, a clinic and uh, so that was how we how we got started it, the first thing we did though was to make make an inventory of what uh, health care was available um, to, to the community. A very small community at that time was just 450 people. And, uh, but we thought that we would try to serve that community and it would be a clinic of, for, and by the community of Bersheba Springs. Well, uh, there was, it turned out from our inventory that there, there was uh, healthcare available, but it was not affordable. And our our people just couldn't afford it. That so finance was really the the stumbling block. Um, so we determined that we would set it up and it would be free and not for profit, and that 
Um, we determined we would not use insurance uh, and we would not have any corporate funding or federal or state funding. So how did we finance it? A um, cousin of mine was wealthy and uh, he said, how much do you think you need? I said, well, probably 250,000. He said, I'll match you 125. And uh, so that's how we got started. And then we were able to, uh, with private donations, uh, able to keep it going. And, um, and that's that. That's kind of how we we got started. And that might go on. Wow, wow, uh, Mike. How about you and your uh, clinic down there? As far as the staffing, how many staff do you have? What the clients on uh, volunteer professionals and your collaboration with other groups here in the community. Um, and have you seen the, the need grow? Um, is it a result of more people finding out about you or that, that need has always been there and, and just increasing? Yeah, I mean, great questions. <clears throat> and so there's a lot of answers. Uh, you know, 90% of the people we see come from either federally qualified clinics <clears throat> or other non-for-profit clinics. Okay. And, and we we deal with kind of a different population. I mean, we, we, we deal with marginalized communities in, in Louisville, which means that they could be uninsured, underinsured, much like <clears throat> what Garrett's talking about. But, mm -hmm. but there's such a lack of trust in those populations that getting them is hard. And once you get them, convincing them that you really care and you're not there for the money uh, is is another difficult thing. <clears throat> and it's, so it's not just being uninsured because of course these things are all intertwined, right? If you're poor, you're more likely to be underinsured or uninsured. If you're black, Hispanic, you're more likely to be underinsured under or uninsured. And so they're all kind of intertwined together. And so that that became our population. And, and being a consultant, the places to go were first the federally qualified clinics, because again, they provide great access for primary care, but they don't have access to specialty care. So they, you know, when I was part of the Baptist system, if, if a primary care doctor there wanted to refer to a consultant, they just put an order in and boom, they go to a consultant. Mm -hmm. Those clinics literally have to go down a list to try to find somebody willing to take their patient. And so you can imagine if you're uninsured, nobody wants to see you. It, if you have Medicaid, they're less likely to want to see you. So they really can't get people in. And so that, that was what we focused on. And the reason why we started seeing insurance is we knew it wasn't going to be a burden on the patients we saw because it was still giving access to people that didn't have access. Mm -hmm. And we felt that we could use the money from insurance to help pay for expansion of the clinic. And we've been able to do that. Now we're open five days a week and uh, we do all kinds of cardiac testing. And, and our staff is 
often hard to keep because we can't afford to pay benefits and, and such, but we have probably close to 10 kind of full-time people, part-time, mm -hmm. full-time people that work there that include people that work up front, nurses, uh, sonographers in our health equity center. We have uh, a, a nurse navigator and a psychologist that we partnered with UofL to provide. Um, and so we make ends meet because we don't generate enough to do that. So we mm -hmm. make ends meet by applying for grants and a lot of the money we get is personal donations to keep the, the clinic uh, running. Um, and, and we've been able to kind of limp along pretty good and and then to get to your your question about the need you know when you're doing one day one weekend a month which we still do a one day one weekend and one evening and those are all volunteer clinics so no staff it's all volunteer and I got to tell you it's an incredibly joyous day because um, I always tell people imagine a clinic as a patient that you go to that everybody's really truly there just because they want to be there to help and it's an overwhelming feeling and the same thing's true of the screenings we do but so when I went part-time and we opened up the clinic two days a week we were quickly booked up now that we're there five days a week and we just had one of the hospitals Baptist who donated a nurse practitioner to us almost a year ago and we now we're there five days and a nurse practitioner. We're booked out almost to January. So I, I think it's a testament to, to a good job that we do and that we care and people know that. But I think it's also a testament to the fact that people don't understand the need these people have out there, that they don't have the same access as everybody else. And the fact that the clinic could be booked up that quickly in that short period of time, I think is more of a testament to the incredible need out there in the, in the public mm -hmm. for that care. And, and just want to touch base on on uh, on something before we switch back over to Gareth. Now, mm -hmm. uh, I saw on your website that you're dealing with populations that English is not their first language. Yes. And working through that, it's... Um, I, I did see that what you all got some funding for uh, for somebody who can uh, can give you a hand with that. Um, how's that? And, and I just know that I I worked uh, part time for a friend of mine who um, does great work on restoring box gutters, et cetera, on uh, uh, and that part of the trade. But he had. Uh, two Guatemalan women, uh, and a guy from Guatemala, and um, a, a great carpenter from Mexico. And just the language barrier of trying to operate on a website, um, at one, one person who had decent English skills, but just the translation portion of trying to get through the day. Uh, yeah. How's that? Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's, oh, yeah. there's tons of studies that show that those people that don't speak English are, are at a, an extreme health care disadvantage. And 20% of the people we see don't speak English. 18% of the people we see speak Spanish only. And so we have, uh, we've gotten grants for interpretation services and we've hired a couple of bilingual people to work up front and help us 
with interpretation skills. We've even, even funded people to go off and get certified as, as Spanish interpreters because there's such a large population. And again, that's I think something the other that the public doesn't understand that even if you legal even even if you immigrate to this country legally, if you're not a refugee and can get health care in a in a different manner, you're not eligible for health care coverage here for five years, which means we say, welcome to our country. We're going to give you the lowest paying job. You're not going to be able to afford health insurance. Oh, and by the way, we're not going to take care of you either. We're not going to let you get subsidized health care. And so that's a large number of our patients come from uh, from those populations. The Family Community Clinic at St. Joe's here in town mm -hmm. uh, does a huge Hispanic population uh, that refer to us. And so that that's kind of how we meet the need. And there's a special group. I mean, you have to spend more time and most people don't don't have the time or take the time, but we do. And it, it just is certainly more involved, but a, but a big need that, that needed to be taken care of. Garrett, I, uh, I read that uh, you've got a new executive director at the clinic there. Right, right. Thank and, you. And um, uh, that you guys offer um, classes and um, was it kind of focused on uh, diabetics, the, the di diabetes? And, no, this, and this will be our, our second year or, or third year of, of uh, providing a, a diabetes uh, class for individuals who, who have diabetes. Diabetes is uh, one of the uh, most common diseases that, that we're seeing. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, uh, and of course, um, there's there's cardiovascular disease and hypertension, especially. Um, but the, the diabetes education has been very helpful. Um, and I, I had a, an in, interesting uh, patient um, that uh, was kind of a surprise. Let's see if I can find this. Um, this was a, a woman who had um, came in at uh, blood sugar of 500. Uh, blood sugar really uh, shouldn't be over. What is it, uh, Mike? Uh, 125 or something like that, and she was 500. Uh, and the reason she she had a glucometer, but she didn't have any strips. She couldn't afford the strips to measure her her sugar. Uh, the the new director is is just a godsend. Um, the one we had before graduated to a better job. Uh, this one, I think, is going to stay uh, uh, early on, and Mike will understand this. Uh, uh, I, I was the the primary provider, but we had a, a physician's assistant who turned out to be a fantastic person. Uh, she's the, the best clinician, overall clinician, that I've ever worked with. Um, and she and I did the medical 
aspects, and I was the medical director and uh, was I was supposed to sign twenty percent of the charts, uh, and uh, <clears throat> and we had somebody in the, the front office, uh, uh, office office manager. Uh, I w I was the uh, first president of the board. I was the medical director, and <clears throat> I was the uh, executive director. And so I I was doing three jobs, uh, and it it was pretty busy. Uh, now we have a really great uh, executive director uh, who has. A, uh, past experience and she's going to fit in real well. Um, keeping the staff is a problem, uh, but we we really fell into uh, an interesting uh, thing. Um, we had, uh, I'm trying to think how Nick first came. Uh, we had a, a resident from Yale I know, I know what it was. Uh, he, he met, um, there was a connection we had between the University of the South, Swanee. Uh, there was a, a graduate of, of, from the University of the South who was part of the Yale Child Study Center. And she met uh, a person on the staff at, um, or new uh, person on the staff uh, at Yale. And we got to have a, a resident come down and and spend several, a couple of weeks. And he had so much fun, he wanted to keep coming. And uh, <clears throat> then we got some, some more residents. And uh, so we had a, situation where we had have had several residents from Yale and uh, Nick uh, was enjoyed it so much that he got a, a job at Erlanger Hospital in Chattanooga if they would allow him Fridays to work at the Bersheba Clinic and he brought he came and brought his wife who's a pulmonologist and so he he's uh, coming up to the to the clinic, and he's now our assistant medical director, and the other one is uh, a primary physician um, in Murfreesboro who uh, is there frequently. We we are open. Uh, we're proud to have just added a third day. We were just Monday and Friday, and then. Uh, we were able to, or Monday and Wednesday, excuse me, but and and then we were able to, when Nick came, we were able to add Friday, uh, and then we have another young physician who's a uh, an ID doc, infectious diseases at uh, at uh, Baptist Hospital in Nashville. So we have those two young physicians who are there a lot, and we're getting, still getting uh, residents from Yale. Uh, we've had some residents from Meharry in, in Nashville, and 
it, it just thrills me to be able to have these these contacts with the, with the local medical centers. Another um, fortunate circumstance was uh, uh, there's a hospital about 25 miles from Beersheba in McMinnville, Tennessee, that's connected with St. Thomas in Nashville uh, or the Ascension Group, and they have agreed to give us imaging services. So our patients can go there for imaging services and free. And so that, that's been great. Fantastic. Um, let me shift back over to Mike. Mike, you mentioned a health equity center. Is that, you say, a relationship with U of L? University of or, or what is that and how does that yeah. work with your practice? So again, you know, in our communities, uh, you know, there's, again, they've been marginalized for so long. There's just this lack of trust and, and they just don't understand or do they have the resources to be healthy and to live healthy. And, you know, there's thousands of studies and it's not new. It's been around forever where, there's disparities in healthcare based on race, ethnicity, income, insurance status. And so we kind of set it up just to make sure that everybody got treated equally and that everybody had the same outcomes. And uh, so we track things back there, like was their blood pressure a goal? Are they on the right cholesterol medicine? If they have coronary artery disease or heart failure or atrial fibrillation, are they on the right medicine? and make sure that we're not treating one population different than the other. And it's just a lot of education. And a lot of the other issues is, you know, if you're not, if you're not healthy psychologically, you're not going to be healthy physically. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we formed a partnership with U of L's, uh, one of their departments of psychology, their Cardinal success program, it's called. So we have a, a psychologist in our clinic, two days a week <clears throat> that the patients will refer there, have an opportunity to meet with them. But I mean, we have a lot of other relationships, uh, you know, like I said, uh, the fairly qualified clinics, we have a close relationship with, uh, and U of L medical school, we usually have a, a fair number of medical students that come through. Uh, we do some nurse practitioner training with Spalding University. Um, and uh, and then other other connections that you need in our population, which is housing and food source. So we have there's an entity called New Directions Housing. Mm -hmm. I used to work there. <clears throat> Fabulous organization. And uh, so starting November, we're doing one screening a month at one of their facilities mm -hmm. to try to capture people there and try to get them healthy. You know, again, and I, I, this is off topic, but, you know, as you said in the beginning, we spend more money on healthcare with, with worse outcomes, but it, there's a great book and you, you've probably read it upstream and, uh, but it talks about that. That's kind of a, a little bit of a, of a misnomer. It's, it's, it's how we spend our healthcare dollars. Other countries spend two dollars preventing a problem for every dollar they spend treating it we here spend two dollars treating it and we barely spend a dollar to prevent it and 
So that's part of what our focus and vision is also going forward. And I would say that's probably what more of the health equity center is to do that, to partner with places to how do we keep communities as, as a whole healthy. And, and just another question about, uh, do you all go down to Churchill Downs to, mm -hmm. uh, to work with the community there? Yeah. And, and you're working primarily with adults, correct? Yes, that's all. That's all. We okay. only do adult okay. cardiology. Okay. Yeah. So we do, you know, the, the, I'm, I'm doing a lot of shout outs here because there are a lot of incredible organizations out there doing unbelievable work. And so the Kentucky Racing Association uh, has this uh, fund where all unclaimed wagers, they put in this fund to care for the people that don't have anything on the backside, a church, education, and, and health care. And they have two kind of health fairs every year for them, one in the spring and one in the fall. And so we've been going to those and we'll do we'll do screening there. In fact, we just did that uh, last weekend. No, last last Monday, a week ago, we did it. We screened almost 40 people there, which, it, you know, again, you'd be shocked at how bad the data is. And probably 60% of the people we screened there had high blood pressure and didn't know they had high blood pressure. And so those people now you can move on to their clinic which they provide a clinic for those people and get them treated and healthy. Garrett, with uh, the folks that um, your staff sees in Worship of Springs, uh, rural community, what um, is there a, like if it's a, a more rural community, it, are there uh, farming accidents, or what do um, what do you guys see up there? And and I also um, read something that you've started a dental clinic down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was one of my dreams uh, early on. I had several dreams to that could happen. One was affiliation with with universities and that's come to pass uh and uh, and a dental clinic um <clears throat> i told you that uh i signed 20 percent of the charts that the physician's assistant sees and we had two physician's assistants when i was most active at the clinic uh, and um uh, I was signing these charts and I signed one that was for a patient with a dental abscess. And then I went to the next chart, dental abscess, dental abscess, dental abscess. The five straight charts was dental abscess. And uh, so I really couldn't imagine how, how common dental problems, serious dental problems were on the mountain. Met a dentist uh, who was retiring over in Sewanee and uh, he was interested in working with us and by George, he came over and started clinic with us. Mm -hmm. And we, about this time, 
there was a little house next door. Our clinic was uh, a, uh, a mobile home that uh, manufactured housing that we remodeled into a clinic and we had uh, volunteer help in getting that remodeling done. And then there was this little um, house next door uh, that was affiliated with the church and the the church gave owned the house the house was between the clinic and the church and the church gave us the house and we made a clinic there and we had, so now we have a dental clinic but, but we don't have a hygienist and so we really can't do anything now but uh extractions uh but we here here's here's another um uh cooperative venture we have a uh a dentist who had family kind of like me had fam family at Bersheba. he was uh, on the faculty at the university of alabama dental school and he has come come up and is helping with uh extending the the dental work our the the dentist that retired dentist that uh, from Sewanee had to give up the extractions because he got arthritis in his in his wrist and he just couldn't do it but we've got this other guy so you know we have uh, contacts at the University of Alabama Meharry uh, in Nashville Vanderbilt uh, actually uh, Nash uh, Baptist Hospital in, in Nashville. And we don't have a direct uh, affiliation with Vanderbilt, although we do send a lot of patients there and uh, the uh, and, and Erlanger Hospital in Chattanooga. Garrett, what happens in these communities that don't have your connections and your your passion to bring health care to folks who who can't afford it. Okay. You've asked the same question that Bernie Sanders asked. Uh, that was in 2000. And Bernie was on this committee. It was called uh, and he held a hearing, and the title of his hearing was, Is Poverty a Death Sentence? And he asked me to testify, and I testified in, uh, <clears throat> in Washington at the, in the Senate. Uh, and I just told him about a few of the patients, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about them. Uh, this is a woman... Charlotte Dykes had an obstruction, and you'd be interested in this one, Mike, to the main intestinal artery with stent placement in Chattanooga. We diagnosed a severe blockage of the main artery in her right arm and a 70% carotid artery blockage. We have a, a volunteer physician who ever since we opened the clinic, when he heard He's a radiologist, and when he heard it back in 2010 that we were going to open a clinic, he went out and got himself an ultrasound machine to use in the clinic, 
and he comes up periodically and does ultrasounds. But in this Charlotte's case, the surgeon would not operate unless she paid up front because she still hadn't paid her bill from the previous surgery. So she's a walking time bomb. And when I wrote this, it, she was going to be 65 in December when she'd be eligible for Medicare if she lives that long. And she gave me, I asked her if I could tell her story and she said, you speak out for me. And then at the time of the clink of the hearing, I was pleased to report that she had reached 65 and had had an appointment with a vascular surgeon for evaluation and treatment of her artery blockages. So we see people between age 19 and 65. When they're 65, they have Medicare. And when they're uh, below uh, 19, uh, up from birth to 18, they have 10 care. But uh, Governor Lee of Tennessee did not expand Medicaid. So he's, you know, a lot of these people are hurt that way. Uh, we had a woman, 54 years old, hadn't seen a doctor in over 20 years. And then we diagnosed she had had an acute heart attack. She was airlifted to Nashville, treated and discharged, but she didn't fill her discharge prescri prescriptions, including Plavix, and didn't go to cardiac rehab because she couldn't afford it either. She was doing poorly and had a recent dementia due to small strokes. Here's Doris, 58, and her husband operated a small local restaurant before her illness forced them to close the restaurant. Estimated annual income was $13,000. No insurance, no medical care. She heard we offered free mammograms and she, we diagnosed a breast cancer. It goes on and on, but that's what happens. Yeah. And the other thing is, not only is poverty a death sentence, but illness is a poverty sentence. Mike Witt, what would you tell people if, if you operated, a, if you were the uh, editor for a newspaper that ran medical columns? I mean, what's not being shared through our corporate media um, about what's going on here, here on the ground that you're seeing that it's like, where is the the outrage about some of these things. Yeah, I, th I think Garrett touched on the important things. And, you know, it's it's not just poverty, it's race. And it's, you know, people like to blame it on social determinants of health. But again, these things are also intertwined. If you're poor, you're more likely to suffer from social determinants of health. If you're black his or Hispanic, you're more likely to suffer from social determinants of health. It's not genetics to grow up poor. It's not genetics to live in poor neighborhoods. Through years and years of, of implicit bias, racism, we, we push populations to those areas. And consequently, it, it, they're poor. And you, you poverty is not just race. I mean, there's plenty of poor white people out there. There's It's, it's, it's just it's endemic it, it's it's everywhere and they don't have access and and i think the normal first off 
it's it's ridiculous to think that people can live off of seven eight hundred dollars a month and be able to have health insurance. It's ridiculous to think they can live off two thousand dollars a month, three thousand dollars a month, and be able to afford health care for their families because they can't. And those people don't end up having access to care, which is the number one reason why why we have the worst performing healthcare system in the world is because our people don't have access to care. And, uh, you know, statistics like the Louisville Health Equity Report are, are the things that, that I like to point out that the public needs to know, but we don't talk about it. I mean, in Louisville, it, there was a 2017 one and there was a, then a 2021 one but it's not like the media is out there talking about it. But in parts of our community here, the West End and the South End, it's not just the West End. The average life expectancy is 68. But if you go East, the average life expectancy is over 80. And of course, people instantly go to the fact that, okay, fine, it's drugs, it's, it's, it's alcohol, it's violence, that's the problem, but it's not. The problem is, they die at two times the rate of diabetes, heart disease, hypertension, kidney failure. That's the reason. And, and if there was better access to healthy living, if there was better access to health care, we could narrow those. But I, I just can't imagine that our population would be satisfied with people living 10, 15 years shorter lives just because they don't have access to good health care. I, I, and, and, but yet we don't talk about it. We always talk. I'm rambling, so stop me. But I get pretty upset and passionate sure. about it. Of course. We, 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 how can we accept that? How can we accept that, that it's okay for people to live 10 years shorter lives? And how much is 10 years of your life to you? And, it, yet we allow it to happen. And we talk about we can't afford it. Well, how the hell can you not afford it? And and we pay for it anyhow. It's not like it doesn't cost us money to take care of the uninsured people. It's not like it doesn't it doesn't cost us more when people are unhealthy. Of course it does. It, it costs us a lot more. But more importantly, from the human side of it, the moral ethical side of it, how do we allow people to live shorter less healthy lives when we know that there are things that we could do to prevent it. And if the people making the decisions were on that side of the population, would they really allow it to happen? And I don't think they would. I think they would they would do something to change it. Sorry for rambling. No, 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 no ramble. I mean, I'm not going to dispute uh, what you're saying. Yeah. And uh, Kentuckians for single payer health care with physicians for national health insurance uh, or for a national health plan, Kentucky. We've organized events. We've organized uh, citizen hearings. And somehow the media can cover, well, we found this lost puppy, but it's it's the exception as opposed to the rule why there can't be coverage for this. And and and, and I don't want to rant and ramble. I'm just saying that uh, 
been involved with the group almost 20 years. And um, we just got to keep plugging along and, and the group um, uh, has uh, decided that this radio program is important and that we're going to devote uh, resources to this. And um, which is we're all volunteers. So <laughs> uh, so those are the resources, people power. And, um, you know, with uh, it was last week that uh, Governor Bashir expanded dental hearing and vision coverage to about 900,000 uh, Medicaid recipients. But the issue is we change governors and the next governor can come in and pull that rug out from under people. You know, with with what Doc, with uh, what Garrett's talking about, you live on uh, one side of the Tennessee line, you're not covered, you live on the other side, and I, isn't true. I, I think, though, if people really knew, I, I think they would they would do something, but I think the average person doesn't know the disparity. Okay. Um, Garrett, uh, we're, well, we've been we're, trying to trying to uh, illuminate that uh, that uh, difference uh, and the disparity, uh, Mike, and I. Your comments on it. I, I do want to make a little uh, aside that was uh, exciting for me. I went into the clinic. I don't go down to the clinic much anymore. I, you know, it's 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 about a five hour, four and a half to five hour drive for us. Um, but um, uh, I've seen some. We've had some African Americans in the clinic <clears throat> providers, uh, and it's really exciting. And it, yes. uh, we've yes. had several. And I think it's been good for the community. Just, this uh, Versa Springs is—I don't believe there's if if there's an African American there. I don't—I've never seen her. Yeah. Um, but 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 they they we did have some providers uh, from uh, there was a Mahari, one from Mahari, and then there was a woman from or a couple of women from. Uh, Yale, uh, so that's nice, and I, I, I th I'm sure our people uh, accepted them and appreciated them. I just Thanks. wanted to see the, you know, comment on that. So that that was little, little bit of leavening the bread down there. Yes, most definitely, and and uh, Garrett, I don't mean to be a buzzkill, but it is so frustrating when we have the resources in this country to address these issues and they get privatization of Medicare and other uh, providers, you know, it's um, discouraging. We're, uh, we're gonna be wrapping it up here in a couple of minutes. Any final thoughts uh, from you all? Just uh, really appreciate your time this morning. Uh, we're recording this on uh, Monday, October 24th. Wow. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Nice meeting you both. You too. I'm glad to hear about your work, uh, Mike. It's terrific. Really, really wonderful. 
Thank you. I, the one thing I've learned about this journey is there are a lot of groups and people out there trying to do good and, and, and do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. Most, most definitely. I mean, your, uh, your website identifies so many of those collaborations that you have and the volunteers that uh, come in to, to help address this. Um, I, I just want to say that for folks who want to um, learn more about Kentuckians for single payer healthcare, you can go to kyhealthcare.org, kyhealthcare.org. Kay Tillo, our, our chairperson, if you have ideas uh, or would like an invitation to our uh, Zoom meetings that we have twice a month, you can reach out to Kay directly. Her email address is nursenpo at aol.com, nursenpo at aol.com. Uh, Mike, you want to uh, tell people how they can contact you or your clinic? with the best uh, website or sure number? <clears throat> they can contact us at haveaheartclinic.org. Uh, our phone number is 502-245-0002. So whether you somebody wants to volunteer or a patient, uh, we'd love to have you. Good deal. Gary? Yes, uh, we have a website and you can find everything that I've, I've said there better. Uh, Bersheba, that's B E E two E's, B E E R S H E B A clinic dot org. Bersheba clinic, all one word dot org. Thanks, Mark. Okay, good deal. And um, talk about shout outs. I, I want to give a shout out to uh, one of my former em employers, uh, Project Warm. They are having a uh, the blitz season coming up here soon. Uh, they'll have a what's called a draft for blitz at, on Saturday, November the 5th. And then they'll do a mini blitz where they'll send teams out to homes to uh, provide some uh, first line weatherization services. You can always contact Project Warm to, uh, if if you have drafty windows, doors, things like that, they'd be glad to help you. You can contact the uh, program manager over there at Courtney at projectwarm.org. That's Courtney at projectwarm.org. And the number there at Project Warm is 636-9276. Six, <laughs> six, six, Six three six warm, fantastic guys. And um, for single payer radio, I'm Mark McKinley. Have a good week. Thanks for listening.